0: Hey Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But yeah, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app. It's better it's so on video. So easy to use. It's, it's, it's better, really better on video. Easy. Download got... the app and you watch us.
1: That's all there is
0: to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it and then. You In press, the United States. Press the button, and there it is. There it is. And you can choose. You can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts. So why wait? Download the Electric Now app and start enjoying us anytime. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts Briefing Room. a new series. Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way to Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Trek Treksports podcast feed and on the new Treksports Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see What's out there? Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trekkers in the 4:30 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better: The Complete Uncensored Oral History of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome, and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out, and I will renew your license to kill personally.
2: Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta.
3: How are you doing today, Josh?
2: I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
3: Oh, right on. Still all good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, at this point in time, it's, it's frankly good to just hear even that about yeah, anybody. <laughs> we're just we're getting through it um we have kind of uh i wouldn't say unusual because it's still totally on topic but a little uh, different format episode for you today because we have on with us uh filmmaker and author joshua hull and we are here to talk about his new book underexposed the 50 greatest movies never made how you doing josh i'm good how are you thank you always, thank you for having me on always good to meet a fellow josh yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah, a fellow you, uh, uh, <laughs> unmade movie fan
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, did you get invited to the Josh battle that happened a few months ago, or or did your you invite know, get like You uh, know,
2: I would say my relationship with that was that uh, seemingly none of my friends really, like in LA, it was all my like outside the city friends yeah. and especially all my relatives loved sending me links yeah. to that yeah. article yeah. about, it was the for same, people who don't thing. know, there was a big battle of the Joshes that congregated <laughs> in, what city was that?
1: I want to say Iowa, maybe? I don't know. I or
2: yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember how it started. It was some something that's, you know, as the internet loves to do, something that started as a joke and then snowballed into a reality and a bunch of Josh's congregated and had a big Highlander battle in some mm-hmm. park somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh I choose to think that uh I would have won if I'd been there. I, I get to say that because <laughs> I, I, I wasn't thing and no that one. Every Josh play.
3: thinks though, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm the real one. Um, I had no idea about that. Never.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we even get into the book, I I was going to say a slightly unusual format, but I think it's kind of a fun, in a way, re-primer for something that we haven't really even talked about on the podcast since our very first episode, which is just why Steve and I even wanted to do this podcast and our love of unmade movies, uh, which clearly you share. But before we get into that, why don't we just get your little origin story, how you got into the industry and kind of let you segue for us what that what led up to you wanting to write this book?
1: Gotcha. Yeah. You know, um so born and raised in Indiana. So obviously there's not it's not like a hotbed for for film industry or or you know, film work in general, but um, I've always just loved movies. Um, you know, introduced to them at a very young age by my mom. Uh, you know, Jaws and Halloween probably when I was under the age of five. You know, when I'm watching these movies, and it's just kind of you know, Star Wars and all that stuff just opened up uh, my appreciation and my love for uh, film for film. And then as you know, yeah, in the middle school, that's when. You know i really started learning about like screenwriting and the craft of filmmaking um and that's what really- was the
2: first sorry not to interrupt but what was the first like actual screenplay you saw where you were like oh that's what a script looks like
1: yeah so it was um you guys will remember this um do you when Merrimax was putting out all of their um they did like pulp fiction they did screen they had scream out um they did uh shakespeare and love you know they had that whole series where they were doing those and that was really um when i saw that format
2: really for the first time this is the kind of thing where you would find those in like barnes and noble yeah. in the yeah. like film section oh my
3: god that just to- yeah the 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 Pulp fiction one the the last story where he shoots uh the guy in the back seat um, in that version of the script, he shoots him in the throat and he's sitting in there suffering while they're having the conversation. And I remember <laughs> yeah. reading that script in the store, like, oh my God, this is way more, he it's went way more comedic with it. Thank God. But anyway, not to, yeah. <laughs> no. no, it just brought me back to that. Like, oh yeah, I remember reading that in the store.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was because, you know, I was in theater, I was in plays. So I saw, you know, the, the structure for, you know, how those scripts came, but it was really, um, those were like, oh, there, it's a whole, different format a whole different you know similar in some way but but that was it um those the the scream screenplay was was the big one for me that was really my uh education where i would just you know come over it and and
2: it's funny you say scream because uh that was the same for me actually, but it wasn't one of those books. Cause really my first screenplay I ever saw was my parents got me these collections, the William Goldman used to release, but his screenplay formats all like wrong and he could get away with it. Cause yeah. he was William Goldman, but that like made <laughs> me all the scripts I wrote is like, you know, junior high and stuff like they were mm-hmm. in his style and they were incorrect, but I did a, a UCLA summer film, like seminar program with my friend Sean a uh, one summer like uh i think maybe in between either our sophomore and junior or junior and senior year and one of the things was they took us to hollywood highland and here in la and every every tourist has the same reaction when you finally see hollywood you're like oh this place is a shithole like <laughs> this isn't cool i don't think they've ever shot movies here uh, is what it feels like but there was a store that sold and it's not there anymore uh but clearly they would buy scripts from like PAs who would just steal them Mm -hmm. from sets. So, you know, they were the actual printed off scripts. And I'm sure they would photocopy them so they could sell more, but I got scream. Uh, and I was like, Oh, this is what a script is supposed to look like.
1: That's amazing. That store. I don't know if it was the same store, but I, when I was there, um, I mean, it's years ago, 10 years ago or so, or maybe, maybe even longer than that. But I did go to a script store in that area, and it was just like, it was baffling that there was this, just this entire store of, of all these, you know. Oh, um,
2: clearly bootlegged uh, yeah, scripts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now it's just all online. You no,
1: know? <laughs> oh, It's insane.
2: As long as we're talking about it, Steve, what was your first script you saw? If oh you my can God. remember.
3: I'm trying to remember. It's a tough one. A friend of mine gave me goodfellas and it was under the name wise guys and also then he gave me it's in your book i never read it i have a hard copy of it harold and the purple crayon the the spike jones, spike one. jones one yeah right. and I, I i never read it i have the hardcover but um that was like the second script that was given to me and that's when i was in film school and so but it was the Goodfellas one was when I used because I knew the movie by heart and was able to see like oh compare it to the movie yeah. itself. But yeah, being yeah. Italian, it's kind of odd that that was the first freaking script that was yeah. given to me. But yeah, that that was the first script. I yeah I I, I, I did I never bought any growing up. I never thought about. I had you know no that yeah that was it. That's a trip going back and even thinking about because it's so long ago. <laughs> yeah.
2: But segue over, we're back to you with the Weinstein yeah. books. Yeah, you know, and that was it was
1: really um, then just just settling into learning it and doing it as much as I could, you know. And and that's really, I, I you know, I never. It's, it's in a way, it's kind of bad to say that I never really had a fallback goal or dream you know like from that get-go I was it was always screenwriting for me where I wanted to do it Um, and so uh, throughout high school I would you know instead of spending my class time I'd be writing you know screenplays through class, you know, and I would just coast, do, do good, just enough to, to coast by <laughs> yeah. with like D's or C's in school. But just so I spent a lot of my time just, just writing through high school and that, and, and you know, there was always that plan of, we'll move out to LA or try and sell stuff, but it, it just never panned out like that for, for me. Um, And, and so there was, like I said, I'm in Indiana, so no film industry really. I mean, there is, what but it's they- not.
2: Did they ever like, was there ever a point in time where Indiana had like a film credit program? They shot some movies there.
1: No, no. They, um, and they've been trying to work on a, on a rebate system for, I mean, gosh, it goes, I think it goes to the state house maybe every year there. I mean, people are pushing for it because you know, you're losing, we're losing stuff to Michigan. We're losing everything to Pittsburgh. You know, I think, um, it was one of the John Green novels. I forget which one, but it's all set, you know, in Indianapolis. And I do, they shot all of those Indianapolis scenes in Pittsburgh, I believe. So it's just like, you know, we're, we're everything. They want, people want to film here. They want to shoot here because it's got, yeah, you know. I'm dude. from
2: Minnesota and we had a film credit in the nineties, which was, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize how good I had it. Cause that's when I was growing up. In my uh, mind, that still wasn't enough at the time. Yeah. Um, but I I always think it's sad that the FX Fargo TV series couldn't shoot. I know right. Noah Hawley like, looked at Minnesota. I think it was also a climate change issue where uh, you think Minnesota and you think snow, but that was just a winter where there wasn't enough snow, so they right. shot it in Calgary. But I'm like, that sucks, man. They should have yeah. shot Fargo in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I think, and also, I mean, you know, we're four hours away from Illinois, you know most of us, so it's like a lot of those, a lot of the people around here can just go out to Illinois or go up to Illinois and, and, um, you know, do a lot of the same stuff. So yeah, we, we unfortunately do not have anything like that yet, but people are working on it. Um, so, but yeah, you know, um, and, and so I always wanted, you know, to be a screenwriter, to, to try and sell screenplays, but then at some point, you know, between high school and, and, becoming an actual adult where you have to make, start making decisions about paths. That's when I started um, to just make my own stuff, you know, for as low budget as I can, you know, little B movies or whatever for, for really just low. Like, I think my first movie was $1,200, you know, and, and we shot it in four days, but it was just to, to finally do something. Um, and, and, and so from there, you know, I made a couple more movies that really, um, nothing has really gone out regional, you know, most of it's all just stayed kind of local. And, um, and and so it was just, that was, so I made my last film and I think like 2015 was when my last one. Um, and then from after that, it was trying to do some other movies and those just took forever to sort of get off the ground. Um, and then the book came about. So in 2019 or late 2018, I was gearing up to make another movie and then the book happened literally the day um, I finished the script that I was going to shoot in <laughs> in the spring of 2019. Uh, the book happened; the book came about in in early 2019. So I had to push all those plans to the side, which it, it all worked out. I'm very happy about it all. So that's really kind of what where we are now. So you know, the, all that everything's just kind of been happening in the last sort of year and a half. Um, what,
2: and where, for you, uh, yeah, what was the interest in doing? an unmade movie book.
1: Yeah. Well, my favorite joke is right. What, you know, and I know how to not get a movie made, you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but it's always been a fascination. It's always been a fascination of mine um, just because there's so many movies that people try to make, you know, you guys, I, I, I'm sure have been in that boat at at times in your life um, where you just, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. But once you do it, you're like, this is amazing. And then you think about all these people who, you know, all the projects that are in their graveyard and of, of, of films that they try to make. And you just think, well, if, well if, if Spielberg can't even get half the stuff he wants to do made, you know, then, then there's sort of this equal footing ground where, where everybody shares that same struggle and that same pain, but it's also that same inspiration once these projects get off the ground, you know, and once movies happen, it's just all part of it, you know
2: do you remember, uh, and apologies for listeners who remember Steve and I already talking about this, but, uh, it's been, uh, over two years. So I think we can talk about <laughs> it again. Let's maybe talk about, uh, the first, your first memory of an unmade movie. Like, do you, do you have a specific one that you kind of remember when you were younger as being like, Hey, wait, whatever mm-hmm. happened to that? Maybe. Or when you found out that like a filmmaker you like had been trying to make, because for me it was that, um, and since I've told this before, I'll try to tell the shortest possible version. But um, one of my parents' friends for either my birthday or Christmas got me like one share. Of Marvel comic stock in the 90s before they went bankrupt. I wish yeah. I still had even one share in uh whatever yeah. Marvel stock's sure worth that, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think when you go bankrupt, that means all your stock dies. That um, means you don't have a share anymore. <laughs> yeah, but so I but that meant that I got their like quarterly reports, and I remember at some point they announced that James Cameron was doing a Spider-Man movie. And obviously, like most little boys of uh, the early 90s cameron was like essentially a god to me at the time yep. uh and I, I was like oh my god the guy who did terminator 2 is gonna do a spider-man movie and spider-man was like one of my favorite comics uh and then it was just kind of that thing where i never heard that it wasn't happening it was just he kept making other movies and then at some point i was like hey wait a minute mm-hmm. why is he making a titanic movie whatever happened <laughs> he, I thought he was doing Spider-Man. a spider-man movie <laughs> what happened to that uh, and yeah. Steve, now I'm even forgetting, even though you've told it before. What was your first real oh, one that like fried into your mind?
3: Oh, it was Cinefantastique reading about uh, um, uh, what's his name. Uh, it was about uh, Total Recall. David Cronenberg's oh, Total Recall. Because I Total Recall yeah. is lo- uh, my favorite Schwarzenegger movie. I I love that movie. I think it's uh it, it's uh, the fact that it was like a Schwarzenegger action movie that you had a really that had that has layers to it oh. it's so it's so awesome that film But anyway when i i was obsessed with it when it came out and i was just going back through a sniff fantastique and i saw the article about richard dreyfus possibly being in it and then that's what blew my mind like how are they going to make this movie yeah. with cronenberg with possibly which richard dreyfus and then that's when it hit on me i'm like wait there's movies that never been <laughs> yeah. made because you know this is back before the internet and all that shit because i'm old and that blew my mind and then from and that moment on say, i'm, I'm I was, obs- yeah
2: i was just saying for people who want to hear more about that movie that is featured in <laughs> <Yeah>. your book <laughs> um and do you like do you have a specific memory that you can pinpoint you know it would be gosh
1: you know early 90s and, and you're talking about you know cameron and, and spider-man but i would it would be i was such a big franchise guy where you know with um you know the live action ninja turtle movies where i was just uh, especially see news i was just obsessed obsessed with it because it was the greatest thing and then you know you you hear about all where, where they're going to go with the, the sequel and stuff and then you get you know turtles and time next and you're like this is what what was gonna happen you know or like You're what, like, you what happened about, like yeah wait a minute or like you know even the jurassic park stuff where it was like they were gonna get the guns on the head and stuff like that and it's like wait, what are we doing like this isn't and then you start you know but but it would all be all that sort of probably the similar stuff of really those early superhero movies of trying to think where, where why hasn't this movie been made yet and then figuring out oh they tried they tried to do stuff like that you know it never happened <laughs>
2: And then so the tip of your book here, uh, which again is called Underexposed, the 50 greatest movies never made. Uh, One thing I like about your approach, and I'm curious to hear when this idea came about, because probably won't surprise you to know that before we started the podcast, because the origin of our podcast, super short version, is just that when I became friends with Steve, I'd already seen the Yodorowskis' Dune Doc. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to Steve long enough, he inevitably starts talking about uh, unmade movies, uh, and cool action movies you've never heard of, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, you should write a book. And he's kind of like, well, there've been other books. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, for other people interested in like really digging back, there's an unmade movie book in the nineties by a guy named Chris Gore called the 50 greatest movies never made. Uh, David Hughes, who did the more famous tales from development hell and also has an unmade, uh, sci-fi book what but so it's kind of like i think it was also that neither of us wanted to take the time to write a book as you know (laughs) easier said than done it takes a lot of time and we were kind of thinking of like well it's not just that we want to talk about this is a movie that didn't happen it's kind of like how do you sort of bring it alive a little bit you know the greatest thing would be is if we somehow had millions of dollars at our disposal and we could like remake scenes from them or you know that kind of thing but we realize yeah with a podcast we can like Mm -hmm. get the filmmakers we can read scenes from the script you know Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and what i like about your book though is that uh each chapter so each it's 50 movies 50 chapters each one you had a poster made for the movies, is though it exists. And I think it's a fun way to kind mm-hmm. of bring it alive in a way, more than just reading about like, oh, here was an idea and this person would have starred in it. Oh, too bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was, you know,
1: that's really was the genesis of the idea was um, because I'm a massive alternative movie poster fan. I love Mondo. I love all that all all the that whole scene. Um and so, so pretty early on in, in 2013, 2014, I stumbled across Poster Spy, which is just a whole website where artists can uh, upload their poster artwork. And, and it's just this fantastic community of so many talented people. And, and I would just, I can't do poster art, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I would just go on the site and I would just, you know, obviously as a filmmaker, you're always looking for, you know, artists that can do posters for your, your work or whatever. Um, and and then I always was like, why? It would be the coolest thing to see um, artists like this tackle unmade movie concepts, so so people could get an idea of what would have possibly been hanging in the multiplex or like the lobby when you're walking through, you know. To, and, and it was just an idea that I kept in the back of my head for for years until um, Poster Spy actually in 2018, Jack, the um, the owner of Poster Spy, put out a call saying they were looking for writers. For 2019 to sort of beef up um, that aspect of the site. And so I pitched him this idea and he was like, that's not a, I pitched it as um, like a, like a recurring column, essentially. And he's like, that's, that's not a, that's not a column. That's a book. And I was like, oh, well, oh, I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. I was like, thank you for taking <laughs> the time. Have a nice life, you know, like, uh, see you. and he was like, no, we should we should talk about making it a book. And I was like, I don't know how to do that, you know? And he was like, well, can you put a put like a little proposal together of what this would look like? So I put a five-page proposal together. Um, and and within a few weeks, we hit, we were, I mean, Abrams was into it. And I had to put a full proposal together, um, which I think was like 55 pages with with uh, samples of all the artists that were going to be involved, all their artwork and poster with what they were going to possibly tackle. Because that was a whole nother aspect of, Um, putting the book together was the films, but, uh, and that's just really, that was the way to do it was just to give these films a little bit of life that they never had. And, and, you know, I, it was great to write about them and great to write, you know, to bring some of the attention via the words, but really it was all about the art and, and giving people a taste just even if it's just one, one poster, one, one sheet of what that could have looked like. That was, that was really the, the driving force behind the book.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a really, uh, it's a nice looking book. Uh, yeah, you
3: know, yeah, on, on the one books. hand,
2: I guess that maybe shouldn't mem- matter. You should say it's all about the content, but we mm-hmm. all know that sometimes you get a book and you're just like, Oh, this seems like real shoddily put together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, It's a nice, sexy book is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Uh, It's it's
3: it's, a perfect coffee table book for like a film lover too. Like, you Uh, know, people that come over will want to like, are going to have to pick it up and look through it because there's just so much to look at in it.
2: Well, and gift wise, it is. I like that the the pictures, the fake posters make it Mm -hmm. nice and accessible, but it is nice that it's kind of like, you know, it's easily digestible bits mm-hmm. of info about each movie it's not necessarily these like it, but I guess my point is is that something that's just like longer chapters really delving into stuff that's that's for like a real hardcore film for nerd. A real writer that's for a real, <laughs> oh, for a real writer <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and i totally forgot uh speaking of connections to our podcast you have uh, a foreword by one of our favorite guests mr mm-hmm. fred decker how mm-hmm. did that come about
1: yeah uh Luckily, it came about. Um, he, he, we met at Horror Hound, uh, Cincinnati, a couple years, a couple years ago, and um, he was the, just the nicest. Because um, I was, the, I wasn't there as a guest. I was there with um, the the brewery that my day job is at. Uh, we do the beer for Horror Hound Convention, so we're there for the beer and um, offered to give him a beer, you know, as you do to to Fred Decker, <laughs> yeah. and um, and it, it just became. Um, I think somebody told him that I was a filmmaker or a screenwriter. And so he was like, well, come bring that beer over here. We'll have a beer. And we'll just talk about, you know, screenwriting. And you can ask me whatever you want. And so it was just a really nice um, 10 minute conversation with him about my process, what I'm trying to do. And, and he gave some really great um, advice, he Was just super friendly with his time. And then from there, it was just once the book came about, you know, there's always we kicked around some names, but it was really like, who, who would be the perfect person to do that forward? Who's the one that wears really their emotions on their sleeve when it comes to unmade films and, and who's not afraid to, you know, be passionate about that and and represent kind of what the book was going to be was that passion and show. And so he was like a perfect, he was just the perfect guy to do it.
2: Yeah. And I guess for, uh, listeners who maybe have not listened to or not a regular listener i'd say go back fred's been on the show three times twice to talk about his own unmade films one was a 3d godzilla movie i think it was actually his first official professional job that he did before monster squad and night of the creeps um and that would have been directed by steve minor who did halloween h20 and a zillion other horror movies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and then his other film i think Steve probably agrees with me might even to this day be the best script we've read for this show which was his unproduced Johnny Quest script that Richard the late great Richard Donner was going to direct um mm -hmm. and then he was also on a Mm two-part unmade James Bond episode because for those who don't know Fred he's a a real diehard James Bond nerd
1: yeah he's he's wonderful he was wonderful and and really when he he sent that the, the, the foreword to me, uh, it was just, it was reading it. I, I really did kind of get emotional because I was just like, that was exactly what I was hoping for, but I never anticipated it would be, you know, hit, hit as hard as it did, you know, and, and it was just, it, just a lovely, we completely lucked out with him writing that for us and just being a part of the journey.
2: Yeah, it's, I, I just like Fred's general uh, style that yeah. comes through both in his scripts and clearly in buy. his uh, book forwards. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to say about Fred, hes depending on how you want to look at it, he's either the world's uh, grouchiest nice guy or nicest grouch. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Fun personality. But, uh, you know, obviously we can't resist having a book with 50 uh, great mm-hmm. unmade movies and not talking about some of them of course, we don't want to talk too much because we want people to buy the book. <laughs> the um, sexy book. To buy the we kind of discussed beforehand how we <laughs> could do it. And we thought we could each uh, uh, pick, take turns uh, picking some to highlight and then we can all talk about, uh, and especially picking the ones that, uh, it's not even necessarily that it was an interesting story, but just ones where we were like, I really wish that movie existed. I mm-hmm. would have liked to see it or I just wish it was out there and part of the, you know, global cinematic lexicon i don't know if that makes sense to use that word in this context but i just did it um uh do you maybe want to start us off josh
1: okay yeah i i I will
2: you know it it was it's hard
1: to pick because you know yeah i've spent so much time in this world with these these 50 films for the last few years but uh my number one is Uh, peter jackson's nightmare on elm street uh the dream lover that's
2: the one that i already know was on both steve and i's list (laughs) yeah steve said something about it it before yeah
1: you know I, i just think it's but it's also the one that in um that i think could still happen they could still you know this this that is perfect for um today it's perfect to be they could you know it's still relevant the story of that of that film is still relevant peter jackson just said recently he wants to go back to to horror to do more horror films it's just like they're trying to figure out a new way to do Freddy krueger why not and honestly
2: it's a version of the character that i think robert england even at his age because i know he's kind of like freddie's such a physical part i i'm yeah maybe just getting too old to do it. Well, I, I, give us a little the uh, audience for those who don't know uh, what Peter Jackson's script was about. Yeah. So it was,
1: um, it, they pitched it um, as basically uh, Freddy Krueger is a joke to Elm street teens these days. So, so literally the Elm street teens are going and they're falling asleep on purpose. They're taking sleeping pills to go into Elm street. So they can not only, you know, Heckle and tease Freddie, but actually like beat him up and just you know do all this terrible stuff, and and, and, it, and it sort of echoes where that franchise was at the time, um, and where it is sort of to this day. But you know, in, in all the um, the razzing of Freddie, uh, a parent a parent in a coma is somehow becomes possessed by Freddy. And then uh, a, a, one of the kids has to, you know, save the day, go into the comatose state of dream world and, and save the day basically, or fight off Freddy. But Freddy regains his powers through, you know, through this, but it's sort of like, a um, that's why it would work as a passing of the, the dream demon aspect, because it could be older Freddie passing, you know, passing it up to a new actor, which could relaunch this whole thing. But that's, a, you know, it's, it's really just such a fun uh, concept for what that sequel could have been.
2: Well, and it is funny in bringing this up now, because I mean, I, I really wish that that had happened because that would have been right after dream child part mm-hmm. five. I mm-hmm. think this was, because he co-wrote it with his meet the feebles. So yeah, I think it was yeah. between meet the feebles and, um, uh, dead alive yeah, it was, yeah, it was released yeah. here in america mm-hmm. um so it would have been great that that was just one of the classic movies but as we were saying it would kind of be a perfect thing for him to make now yeah. like i think a lot of this are sort of like all right you've made six you know hobbit yeah, yeah, movies yeah, yeah, now yeah, we yeah, want another dead alive. alive we want yeah. another yeah. heavenly creatures or the frighteners mm-hmm. let's make something smaller
3: yep. um I-, I think also it would have been a nice change after part five because part five was just kind of serious. And mm-hmm. it kind of, I, I don't know, part four is my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I get a lot of shit for that all the time. <laughs> but I just love it, man. I, I think just you'd think get more so shit if fun. you said
2: five was your favorite one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But, I, but I think five kind of, I don't know. I know they were trying to make it scary again and do all that. Mm-hmm. But I think his version of six would have, it could have kind of, I don't know, it feels like it would have, It would have kept going after that. They didn't have to kill the franchise off and just want, oh, Freddy's dead. It almost, I bet it would have just kind of injected more energy into the franchise and and Mm -hmm. made it keep going. Because with Dreams and all that world, it's just, it's it's endless what you could keep doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why you have to like end it there, especially if it's making so much money. But yeah, I would have, you know his fuel into that, into that franchise, I think could have been a breath of fresh air for it. You well, know? It feels like
2: it could have been, and this is not to slight the other uh, Elm Street installment directors, but much in the same way when you had Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell coming in on part three to like really have these like heavy hitter directors mm-hmm. coming in. Uh, to make some of you almost like the kind of you know the alien franchise (laughs) although as we've seen it's not like that always yields great results either but uh in theory it was exciting that new line had seen i assume just they'd seen bad taste it's hard to imagine that they watched it was like this is the guy you should make a Freddy movie (laughs) but um it's cool that that's where new line's head was at and i've never read the script i've actually never talked to anyone who read it yeah yeah I, I, Steve and I were talking, actually, before you come on, that we have a we have a plan of how we could maybe get at it. But uh, we'll see if that can become a future episode. Yeah, I just um,
1: it's a cool concept.
2: But that was a great place wow. to start. I'm not surprised that that was on all <laughs> three of our lists because that would have been so cool. I guess yeah. I will next tee up. And this is an example of something that I don't know that I wish this existed because I think the movie would have been so great. I just really wish it existed. And that is Batman versus Godzilla. <laughs> um, yeah. And in part of that is uh, I was an excuse to also talk about something that I've always kind of wanted to do as an episode. It's just hard to find enough inf- without a script or a treatment. Uh-huh. Everyone uh-huh. worked on it was dead by now. So like, I don't know what else to talk about, but that was Willis O'Brien for those who don't know, he was the stop motion kind of like Godfather of, old Hollywood who did the King Kong stop motion animation in the original King Kong. And he kind of was Ray Harryhausen's uh, mentor. Um, But he had an idea for King Kong meets Frankenstein, Mm
0: -hmm. but this Mm -hmm. was
2: for RKO and RKO didn't have the rights to movie Frankenstein. So that changed into King Kong versus Prometheus. And then in a super weird way that ended up becoming the, that got made the Japanese King Kong versus godzilla yeah and right i mean i'm remembering right you talk about it in your chapter and then it was kind of like the success of that led toho the the godzilla studio to being like well, well who else can what are some right, other famous western yeah. characters um yes. and, and that this kind of even predated the adam west tv show i mean it's not like batman wasn't famous they made a tv show because he was right. a popular comic character uh, right. but but this like wouldn't have been right I, it precedes that. It's not like this would have been the Adam West yeah, that, fighting Godzilla. Yeah, there Godzilla. was some confusing
1: uh, bits there with that. Whether or not it would have been, um, obviously, for the poster art, we did go that route just to you know yeah. help with the, the visuals, obviously. But yeah, I think you know that would have been a that would have been a crazy one. But you're probably right. I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have worked. Um, but it, it's fun to think about. It's fun to think about some of the things they could have done with it.
2: Yeah, Um, and the short version of that story, again, people can read more about it in the book, but that is just that there's like an evil mad scientist in Japan who's like threatening the world because he has some secret weapon. they do. And Commissioner (laughs) Gordon... (laughs) And Barbara Gordon are on vacation in Tokyo to witness this announcement. And he's like, We better call Batman to fly over to Japan and help us. And it turns out the mad scientist's secret weapon is that he's going to like summon Godzilla. So then, Batman using his bat plane and bat gizmos, their plan is to like launch, to like knock Godzilla out and like launch him into space or something. It sounds like it would have been delightfully absurd. Delightful. Just, just insane. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think it would have been like, You know, Shout Factory would have been re-releasing it on 4K Mm -hmm. right now if it Mm -hmm. existed. I think it would have probably been a crazy cult classic. But
2: that's and that's the thing, is like I don't think that movie would have been good, but I I I just know because all the Godzilla movies, like you know, as a kid, I had no idea how many they made. I just felt like they were always on daytime TV and I couldn't keep tell any of them apart. You would just kind of like watch 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, and I just know than if I turned it on and saw Batman. That's one, though, I would have been just like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I think I need to happening? finish watching this one. What's happening yeah, yeah, here?
3: Yeah. That's funny. Uh, yeah, how about you, Steve? That's a, that's a good choice. What's on it's your a, list? That's a very Josh choice also. Josh Thank Miller you. choice. <laughs> uh, mine would be Alien 5, the Neil Blumkamp one, because I've always been, when they first started releasing the storyboard images from it, it, it seemed to me it's like it was perfect because it's like taking what he did with District 9 and taking that like Elysium world from that movie and combining them into an alien movie. Having Sigourney Weaver come back, Hicks come back, Michael Bean um, with his disfigured face and just seeing aliens run around that Elysium like greenery. And they also brought the uh, uh, what is it? The derelict back too. And just, I, I don't know if there's much about the story out there, but just the, the imagery of all those storyboards, like they were going to, I mean, like the guy that he designed the aliens for Prometheus, he was de- redesigning the xenomorphs. They looked great. There was like new eggs that had different types of facehuggers. It was like everything they were doing with it seems like just the steps in the right direction. To me personally, I love Alien. And I love and I'm also like obsessed with Dan O'Bannon's first draft of Alien. I love like so much mythology that, you know, was taken away but throughout the years. It's been kind of folding back in. But I just dying to see how they were going to reinvent it with this film. Like I said, I couldn't wait to see what he was going to do with the weaponry. When you see the weaponry in District 9, how it was working, how he D- the aliens in district nine, how organic and strange they were, what he was going to bring to that alien movie, all of that. I'm like, I was that is, it's one of the heartbreaking ones for me. Cause I do like Prometheus. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I do like the, but what I see in the imagery in all those storyboards like blows my mind. I'm like, Whoa, Ugh, it, it's such a missed opportunity to like kind yeah. of breathe new life in that franchise
1: agreed yeah and i he he gets such a bad rap as a filmmaker and i just don't get it because you know i mean he's such a visual storyteller that it would have just exploded with that with that um movie and i just you know it's it's unfortunate it didn't happen is that is that one do you think disney would be open to doing that like or you know I,
3: I not I, Disney
1: I Disney but you know why? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the new arm of them. Disney I I yeah.
3: hope so I mean that would be great I mean I just don't I mean because because then Prometheus it seems like they rushed the sequel to Prometheus like it seemed like there was supposed to be a different sequel to Prometheus Prometheus came out everyone was angry there was no aliens in it so they almost like they almost kind of did something with that sequel to to please the fans. The fans hated it anyway. It didn't have this natural progression that it was supposed to have. And then in the process, this movie gets like buried. And it was yeah. like, ah, uh, if maybe if people weren't so angry at Prometheus, this would have had time to still breathe and come out because it was going in a different direction. But they wanted to shoehorn these aliens in and now we lost this. I could be wrong with all that, but that's kind of like what my take is on it. And it Really, is heartbreaking when.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a heartbreaking one for sure.
3: Yeah, just seeing these aliens running around that Elysium world. The aliens look great, the design, Mm -hmm. like everything, Mm -hmm. and to see and to have Michael Bean back as Hicks, like what fan wouldn't want that? Especially he's not he's all disfigured looking, and he looks (laughs) you know he looks everything just looks awesome with it. And like I said, man, like District Nine, man, the aliens, everything is so organic. Like you've that movie is just it's just man it gets under my skin and and especially I I keep going back to the weaponry is like Mm -hmm. what he does with weaponry you know even Shiloh's character in Elysium like Mm -hmm. oh it was I think it was like the perfect film for him to do he could have made he
1: I think he would have brought such a scare factor back to that franchise that it had had in you know so in good time you know in a good while but
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think it would have made it uneasy again, not as safe, you know, aliens is is awesome, but he turned it into an action movie. That was awesome. But this would have kind of been taking it back to, you know, having it feel dangerous again, like how it did in the first one.
2: Well, it would have been an alien movie. I mean, Ridley Scott's Mm -hmm. Ridley Scott's, he can do whatever he wants. But my main (laughs) problem with Prometheus in particular, but also even the sequel is that he just, he doesn't have an interest in continuing the actual alien franchise, he's kind of just like, I just want to make these movies. And mm-hmm. if I pretend like they're alien movies, they'll give me money to make them like that. I really feel that is what's going on in his mind is Prometheus was kind of it's its whole own thing. Uh, yeah. And he's just sort of like piggybacking. Uh, I mean, I get it. He made the first alien and then he had no control over what the franchise became, but that's, that's what the franchise is now, you know? Right. Uh, and I don't think that's one like with, Michael Myers or something where you can be like we're just going to ignore the
3: other ones and it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. people like the other ones.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Some people actually like aliens more than alien, you know, you can't ignore that.
3: Yeah, yeah. true. It was that's true.
1: Yeah, I, you know, um I, he got the, you know, Ridley Scott brought Danny McBride into the alien universe, so you know that's a plus the <laughs> sequels you know, but
2: uh <laughs> ironically he's doing uh, the new Halloween movies that ignore all the right, other sequels. Right. Um <laughs> All right. Well, what's next on your list, Hal?
1: Um, okay, so um, I'm going to go with First 3D, which uh, Neil Marshall. Which uh, you know, this would have been uh, you know, kind of in the in the zone of the descent. It would have been a full-on horror splatter movie from him. But the the real it was all about um, these these people stuck in a snowstorm experiencing spontaneous combustion they're all blowing up mysteriously and they got to try and figure it out but the the big you know um you think about neil marshall and the descent but sam Raimi and rob pepper were going to produce this movie so it was going to be you know those three combining for this explosive movie in 3d it would have been i I think it would have been such a great thrill ride in the in 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 the theater for everybody
2: yeah Um, i and i remember steve did this did we bring this up at all when we had Neil on? No,
3: we didn't actually. Because
2: he has a lot of unmade movies. So I think yeah, we, we're definitely. struggling to think of what we yeah. could fit in. We no, I of totally agree. We cornered him in
3: during that interview yeah. with so many too. I was uh, trying to feel bad, but yeah. This I line, agree. Yeah. And,
2: and Neil's the first to admit it is that uh, he happened to him, happened to a lot of directors where it's, you know, he he fell backwards into doing a Game of Thrones episode. Mm-hmm. And that was such a popular well-respected episode, both of his Game of Thrones episodes, that that launched a whole uh, in-demand TV career. And I know from anyone who directs TV, it's kind of like the money's good and it's so consistent. And as all three of us talking highlight, you try to make a movie. Usually it doesn't happen. Maybe Mm -hmm. like if you're lucky, one in five irons you have in the fire moves forward but right. a lot of times not even that. So I think yeah. it just happens that it's like, well, do I turn down directing the pilot of this show, which means I'm going to get a little bit of money essentially from right. every episode the show yeah. ever has, or do I chase some more movies that are never going to get made? And he's kind of only now getting back into doing features. Uh, yeah. But yeah, right. but but Neil kind of in that that post-descent era with uh, Ramey and Tappert backing mm-hmm. him, I think that could have been a real... It would have been fun
3: it would have been yeah, black.
1: special no effects extended. extravaganza <laughs> oh yeah. yeah
3: especially in 3d like like huh. true tr- i mean yeah i mean if you're doing a movie where people are exploding in 3d weird it would it wouldn't be the 3d where you that the new 3d it would be more like the my bloody valentine 3d where it's yeah. actually yeah. coming at you you know yeah. yeah that would have been great
2: so i'm gonna pick uh and this is another thing a fun thing i think about the way your books format as we said it's not these long chapters with all this history they're kind of these nice uh little like two-page bites but that also means you can talk about films that steve and i often like really are fascinated by but they were so short-lived we can Uh never build a whole episode around Uh it and one of those is Tarantino's desire to remake Lucio Fulci's mm-hmm. 1977 movie, The Psychic. And mm-hmm. part of why I'm so fascinated by that is if Tarantino is to believe, he believed he only has one movie left he's going to do. And then he's basically going to just be doing novelizations of his other movies and yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. producing movies, writing stage plays. Uh, so he says, I mean, which will yeah. be cool. We'll see if he... Right. He sticks to that. I don't think he's going to die anytime soon. Mm -hmm. He might get bored. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who wears his influences on his sleeve. I mean, some people don't like that about him. I think it's great uh, that he is just kind of this sausage machine of like, here's all the stuff I like that influenced me, and I've remade it as something of my own. And the only genre he's not really done that with is I think he needs to make a classic Italian giallo movie. Like yeah. uh, death proof is the closest he's come to a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's not a horror movie, but it's sort of not in a lot of ways. Um, and it's definitely not like the Italian kind of horror movie that I know that's like what him and Eli Roth bonded over. Like it's how they became friends talking about like Italian Cannibal movies and stuff like that Uh, And I just There's not even that much to say about the project as you talk about Uh, For those who don't know the movie I mean you should should go watch Lucio Fulci's The Psychic it's a weird movie (laughs) To me it's Mostly infamous for this insane Opening scene Where a woman jumps off a cliff And they just keep cutting to these close ups (laughs) Of her head getting like (laughs) Parts of her face scraped off As it's (laughs) falling further and further (laughs) Down the cliffside, um, but it's like a supernatural, like uh, murder mystery kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I don't know be... what he would have done with it, but I'd love to see him aping that style through again his own Tarantino sausage maker.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is a, it's one of the weird ones where it's you know what what I what we try to do is stay away from some of like the most well known to make it a little more um, you know because obviously you guys have covered a lot of great stuff and then there's other stuff that that covers some of his more his more obviously popular unmade films but it it was i was trying to you know on some of these steer a little closer to more like mysterious or like oh that would have been really neat to see or you know what that would have looked like instead of something that you know everybody knows about i I wanted to give a little bit of of mystery and intrigue with some of these titles you know
3: yeah i I remember him announcing that at one at like one of his Alamo draft house uh, QT fests. And and I think Bridget Fonda was like, wanted to be oh, yeah. in it, was,
2: it. She was oh, going to be the star. Yeah. This yeah. was, right, was going to be right after Jackie Brown, which uh-huh. remains his only like ad adap- like acknowledged adaptation. Let's maybe call yeah. it that yeah. where he took yeah. an Elmore Leonard book and properly uh, adapted it.
3: Yeah. But I think what's interesting is like, when you look at inglorious bastards, it's. You know, I thought that was going to be a remake of that movie, but it had nothing to do with it. So it's interesting to see what he would if you would have done somewhat the same thing.
2: I think it would have been very dissimilar, but that's actually kind of what excites me about it. I think it just yeah. would have been his excuse to be like, I'm going to do a Giallo movie with all the crazy, yeah. like Argento style lighting and, you know. <laughs>
3: Oh, that yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Him do a a horror film like that. I'm kind of
2: hoping that's going to be his 10th final movie, though. I'm like, (laughs) I know he said because he said that he thinks you need to make three westerns before you can be like historically considered a western director. And I'm like, okay, right, but you're only Mm going to make 10 movies. I don't yeah, know if yeah. three of them should be Western. Let's get a horror yeah. movie in there, man. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Let's do a horror yeah. movie. Yeah. But I think he did. Great. He did say, I think he got, uh, I've been listening to some of his interviews because of novelism, the novel is the He did a novelization I was psyched about, but that he was saying that, I think he got his epic out of the way once upon a time. And so his next one might be more epilogish. So it might not be as, you know, it could all change. It's always changed, you know, whatever, you know from time to time but he's i guess it won't be so hopefully this could be the one that fits in that would be pretty cool and i, I think that opening of the psychic i think that's the ending of don't torture a duckling i think he uses the same does he
2: reuse it yeah he's i think so i could be i've seen either you the might be right two,
3: I, mean... I, I might be wrong please i mean i'll hear about it on twitter if i'm wrong but i'm <laughs> almost positive because i think that's the way don't torture the duckling because it's such a great sequence it's like why not use it twice it's incredible um but yeah i would have loved to yeah again i i agree love to see him do a gel plus i would have loved to have seen it back then when it wasn't such a you know i think they've got really popular thanks well thanks to social media and thanks to podcasts a lot more people Mm -hmm. are talking about them rediscovering Mm -hmm. but back then if it would have came out it would have been something you know really special but it is timeless you can still do it yeah agreed yeah, but that was a good pull for your book, you know, because that's something like you know I never see anyone bring it bring that up ever. And I was going through your book; I was pretty psyched to see that, and I like the poster. In your <laughs> yeah, book too of it. Cool. So, so props, man. I really that was really cool to see that in there. Thank you so much.
2: Wait, and how many different artists are featured in the book? So fifty. So it 50 is fifty. Okay, artists, was... yeah, it's 50, 50 artists from all
1: around the world. So we have, I mean, we it's it's a globe trotting book, you know. Um, it's, it really, everybody just brought their A game to it. It's, I just lucked out. We just lucked out with, with all the collaborations on them.
2: We're going to hit pause right there and pick things back up in episode two of our conversation with Joshua Hall. Thank you to Joshua for joining us, and thank you to you for listening. If you'd like more content from us, you should follow us on Twitter at NeverMadeFilm and on Instagram at BestMoviesNeverMade. You should also download the Electric Now app so you can watch video of our podcast and all the podcasts on the Electric Surge Network. We'd like to thank everyone here at Electric Surge, including Bill Ritter and our producers Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarletta saying we won't see you at the movies.
0: This is a production of the Electric Surge Network.